but he also gave him a job to do. I think the best thing you can do for an discouraged person is give him some work to do. And uh, that uh, seems to be what God is doing here. He gave him three tasks, uh, two of which, one of which he accomplished, and the other two he passed on to uh, Elisha. He told him to appoint a new king of uh, Aram, or Syria, uh, Hazel, and to appoint a new king of Israel, uh, who would be uh, uh, Jehu, and then to appoint Elisha as his successor. And Elijah immediately goes and, and, uh, and, and appoints Elisha, but then it's Elisha who later appoints and anoints the other two. Uh, the call of Elisha uh, is, is recorded in uh, 1 Kings uh, 19, verses 19 to 21. Uh, let's read that together. 1 Kings 19. In my Bible, it's even headed the call to Elisha. Uh, but uh, 1 Kings 19, chapter 19, verse 19. Elijah parted from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelve, twelve, with twelve yoke of the oxen, and he was with the twelve. Elijah passed by him and came, cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my sister's father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So the act of putting his mantle upon him was a, a symbolic act of saying that uh, I want you to follow me and do what I'm doing. And uh, Elisha recognized that and uh, asked to go and uh, say goodbye, kiss his father, and, and, uh, and then he would follow him. Interestingly, the text doesn't say whether he did that or not. Uh, back in the later, you remember in Jesus' day, uh, there were those who, whom Jesus called to follow them, and they all wanted to do something. And one of them said, let me go and bury my father. And they, uh, Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead, you come and follow me. In those instances, it seems the following was so urgent and needed to happen immediately that the other things were not done, uh, or else they were used as an excuse and they didn't follow. In this case, it doesn't say whether he did that or not, but uh, he did sacrifice the oxen he was plowing with burned up the yoke to indicate he wasn't going to be involved in that work any longer. He gave the uh, meat of the oxen to some of the people who were there and then uh, followed uh, Elisha, Eli followed Elijah. Uh, the uh, next incident with Elisha is in Second Kings 2 and verse 1. I've uh, said already, and it's a handy thing to, to know, that uh, basically all the information about Elijah is in 1 Kings, 
and the information about Elisha is in Second Kings, and the uh, exception is right where they're making the change, and uh, there's a little bit of Elisha in First uh, uh, Kings where he's called, and a little bit of Elijah in Second Kings where he's taken up into heaven and leaves his mantle on Elisha. But uh, basically, that's true. Elisha in First Kings and Elijah in in Second Kings. Uh, 2 Kings 2, verse 1. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Incidentally, nobody knows where Gilgal is. It's talked about a good bit. There's several guesses about it, but it hasn't been specifically located. And Elijah said to Elijah, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, and that's an oath, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came on to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Uh, keep quiet. That's a curiosity to me and to most people. Uh, uh, how did they know? Must have been some kind of revelation or something or other. Uh, and why did uh, Elijah tell them to keep quiet about it? Uh, none of that's explained, but uh, that's what happened. The 50 sons of the prophets knew that Elijah was about to be taken away and Elisha would see him no more, and they told him that. And then Elisha said, yes, I know that, but keep quiet about it. And then Elijah said to them, Elisha, Elijah said to him, Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, 50 men, the sons of the prophets, who, were, who also went and stood at some distance from them, and they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted on the one side and on the other, till they, two of them went across on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be done for you. But if you do not see me, it will not be done. And as they all went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elisha went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha, Elisha saw him, and he said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel, and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. The, uh, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Uh, that would be like our saying, uh, the Sherman tanks. Uh, and what it's saying is the, the weapons God had used against the people were now gone. It wasn't in the horses and chariots. It was in the prophet himself. And uh, so he was talking about how the Elisha had been the protection God gave to the nation 
and in so many instances as we, uh, as we have seen. So uh, Elisha took care of his own clothes, tore them in two pieces, took up the cloak of Elijah that had been fallen from him, and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that he had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and the other, and Elijah, Elisha went over. Uh, I'm sure you think of the uh, uh, occasion where Moses uh, parted the Red Sea, and then when they came to the Jordan, Joshua parted the Jordan River in the same way to let them go across. God was saying, I am with Joshua just as I was with uh, Moses. And now here he's saying, I am with Elisha just as I am, was with Elijah. So both of them did the same miracle uh, in the same way. Uh, and they came to meet him and bowed upon the ground before them. And they said to him, Behold now, these are your servants, 50 strong men. Please let them go and speak to your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him in some mountain or in some valley. Uh, it goes on to say that uh, uh, Elijah, Elisha argued with him a bit, said, no, don't go. Uh, you won't find him. They insisted, and he said, well, go ahead. And they looked for a while and uh, came back and said, he's gone. We can't find him anywhere. And Elisha said, well, I told you <laughs> not to go. But they wanted to satisfy themselves that he had actually been taken up into heaven and not just dropped off in some mountain uh, somewhere nearby. And they now know that Elisha has, uh, has specifically gone from them and uh, they will not see him anymore. Uh, so when they saw this, the spirit of the Lord said, the spirit of Elijah rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then... Uh, Verse 21, he went up from there to Bethel. Now let's see, one thing before that. Verse 19, now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. This is the city of Jericho. And uh, the situation was that uh, there were several springs at Jericho that made Jericho an oasis in an otherwise uh, desert. And uh, so it was a place where a city had been for a long time and because of the water that was there. But now the men are telling Elisha, for some reason, the water has gone bad. And therefore, it's no longer a pleasant place uh, to live any longer or even a place where you can live uh, any longer. So Elisha said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And they brought it to him. And he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Uh, we don't know exactly when this day was. It was whenever Second Samuel, First Second Kings were written. But uh, anyway, it, it cured it from then on. Uh, I think I've said before, uh, this is, two illustrations already of the fact that uh, Elisha does more what we would call personal miracles than uh, any of the other prophets of the Old Testament. And uh, almost as many as Jesus, not, not, not really as much, but heading on up that direction. And uh, it's a remarkable career for an Old Testament uh, prophet 
and the only one who did that much of that thing. Elijah did some of it, but Elisha did uh, much, much more, at least much, much more of it is, uh, is told. So uh, he, he cleared up the water by throwing salt into it and imploring the Lord. And then in verse 23, he went up from there to Bethel. And this is one of the strangest incidents in Scripture and one that I'm not sure I can explain. All I can do is say, Here's, well, here it is. Uh, but he would, went up to Bethel, and while he was going on the way, some boys came out of the city and jeered him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. And from then he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Uh, this is the only instance in Scripture that I'm recalling right now where a miracle was done and it brought harm instead of good to the ones to, upon whom it was performed. Uh, several things are left out. Uh, we don't really know the age of these boys. They may have been up to teenagers. Uh, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what their motive was. We don't know what they meant by calling him a bald head and, and ridiculing him. We do know that they are from the city of Bethel. And Bethel was the place where the golden calves were first introduced and where every prophet uh, that came to there spoke against the people there and uh, uh, because of their worship of the golden calves. Uh, that's, none of that's mentioned here, but that is part of the background of Bethel that uh, we, we know of. And... Uh, uh, from there... Uh, Elisha left and went to Mount Carmel. Uh, that's all I know to say about it. Uh, I've read several commentaries. Uh, some of them speculate about this or that or the other. But the fact is, it's recorded that that's, this happened. There's un undoubtedly, I would think, more motivation behind it than is recorded here. But nevertheless, it's, it's recorded as it is. And uh, these uh, two... Uh, she bears. Uh, I suspect these young boys won't go uh, taunting a prophet <laughs> anymore. Uh, anyway, and again, don't know how young they were or what their age was, but uh, uh, that's all I know to say about it. Uh, in chapter 3, in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria. We mentioned the fact that Ahab had some mixture of uh, loyalty to Jehovah as well as to Baal that his wife Jezebel had brought to him. And both of his sons were named with the name of Jehovah or Yahweh in it. Ahaziah, J-I-H, and then here Jehoram, uh, which uh, uh, means something like uh, uh, Let's see, I've forgotten. But the first part refers to Jehovah. Jehovah works, Jehovah saves, Jehovah does something or other. Uh, and that's the name that he gave the boys. Why did he name the boys after Yahweh and be worshiping Baal all the time? An interesting question, but uh, not answered in Scripture, except to say there are several indications that uh, while uh, he was an avid worshiper of Baal, followed Jezebel in every way that she wanted him to and he could, uh, he also indicated in many instances that he still uh, had uh, a desire to 
recognize and, and follow uh, Yahweh in some ways. Uh, so Jehoram now is king over uh, Israel, and uh, uh, Jehoshaphat is the king over Judah. And uh, Jehoram, verse 2 of chapter 3, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother. For he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had led Israel to sin, and did not depart from it. And that's the sin of the golden calves, of course, which we learn through the time here that they were intended to represent Jehovah, or Yahweh. Uh, They were not introducing a different god. They were worshiping God in a way he said he didn't want to be worshipped. Do not make of me any graven image. Uh, so it was still sin, but not the same as going after, after Baal. We'll see a little bit later, or we may not. We may not go with, with, this, with this point. But when Jehu was appointed uh, king of, of Israel, he immediately uh, wiped out all of the worshipers of Baal and returned to the worship of the Lord, of Jehovah. But he did so with the golden calves at Bethel and, and, and Dan. Uh, so that was recognized as a sin also. And that's the sin that uh, uh, Jeroboam, uh, Jehoram followed. Then verse f- 4, Moab, no, Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep herder. And he had to deliver to the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But when Adahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram marched out of Samaria at uh, that time and mustered all Israel. And he went and said word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me uh, to battle against Moab? And he said, I will go. I am as you, as you are, and my people are your people, and my horses are your horses. And then he said, by which way shall we march? And Jehoram answered, by the way of the wilderness, wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went down with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And when they had made a circuitous march of seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed him. The king of Israel said, said uh, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Jehoshaphat said, there is, is there no prophet of the Lord here? though whom we may inquire of the Lord. And one of the kings of Israel's servants said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. That poured water on the hands of Elijah is obviously an indication he served Elijah in, in many ways. Uh, and so Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither <coughs> look at you nor see you. But now bring me in musician. In other words, the Lord is giving favor to Jehoshaphat, king of, <coughs> of Judah, because he's still a descendant of David, and he's keeping his promise uh, to David that he would bless his sons after him in in their reigns. (coughs) And then he says, bring me a musician. 
And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord was upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you will not see wind or rain, but that sea bed, steam bed shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, you and your livestock and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and <coughs> excuse me, and shall fell every good tree and stop up all the springs of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. So uh, they did as they were, were commanded. What he's telling him here is you are to uh, fight against Moab. I'll give Moab into your hand, and then when I do, you're to take his land and ravage it so that it'll no longer be a good land anymore. You will completely uh, de- defeat them and, and do away with them. Uh, so when the Moabites heard that the kings of, had come up to fight against him, all who were able to put on armor from the youngest to the oldest were called out and were drawn up at the border. And when they rose early in the morning, <coughs> when they rose early in the morning and the sun shone on the water, the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have sure fought against each other and struck one another down. Now then Moab to the spoil. And when they came to the city of camp of Israel, the Moabites rose and struck, the Israelites rose and struck the Moabites till they fled before them. And they went, uh, and they went forward, smiting the Moabites as they went. And they overthrew the cities, and on every good piece of land, they threw some stone until it was covered. They stopped every spring of water, fell the good trees till only its stones were left uh, in Kirsheba, and the lings surrounded and attacked it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through opposite the king of Edom, but they could not. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land. <coughs> so that's the battle then that the Lord gave uh, <coughs> Moab uh, into the hands of uh, Israel and Judah for Judah's sake and not for Israel's. And... Uh, it was obviously a strike against Moab, excuse me, a strike against Baal that uh, these, this dry river was there. Baal was supposed to be the one who controlled the rain. And uh, so here, Elisha said it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain, there's not going to be any wind. But the pools of the dry bed will be filled with water. And, and they were. So that was a strike against Baal, among other things. It was a great miracle, of course, that was uh, produced. And then the Moabites saw the water that had been uh, brought to them, and they, uh, in turn, uh, thought that uh, it was blood, and that the Israelites and the uh, people of Judah had fought against each other and, and caused the water to be filled with blood and and came with expectation of an easy victory and when they got there they did not get the easy victory that they thought they were going to get and instead they were were thoroughly uh, defeated. Uh, 
there are many of these miracles that Elisha does that are reminiscent of some that Jesus uh, did and, and that other people have done, like water turned to blood. Water was not turned to blood in this case, but the sun made it look like it was and fooled the, the uh, people of Moab into thinking that it, that it was. Uh, Any question or comment to this point? It's a, it's a series of uh, miraculous deeds done by Elisha to show his power and to show that God is, is with him. And um, as I said, more of the personal kinds of miracles than any other prophet uh, ever, ever, ever did. All right, the next one uh, is uh, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. <coughs> Excuse me said to Elisha, your servant, <coughs> got a cough drop, but um, anyway, excuse me just a minute. <clears throat> and the wife of one of the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. You go back to Exodus and Leviticus, uh, this was allowed under the laws of, of the land. If uh, a debtor, if a person had a debt he couldn't pay, then his children, his wife, or somebody himself could be taken as slaves to uh, help pay off the debt. And the law was thus being followed. But Elisha said to her, what should I do for you? Tell me what you have in your house. And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. And then go and shut the door behind you uh, and, uh, and your sons and pour into all these vessels uh, the oil that you have in your, in, in your house. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and their sons, and she poured the, what they brought the vessels to her and when the vessels were full she said to her son bring me another vessel and he said to her there's not another so then the oil stopped flowing she came and told the man of God and he said go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your son can live on the rest uh, there were a couple of miracles in there's a miracle in Elijah's day you remember that also involved uh, oil that uh, didn't run out uh, here there's interesting uh, sidebar, uh, I'm sure, although she appreciated the miracle and glad that she had got as many vessels as she had, she probably wished she had gotten more. Uh, and uh, one of the lessons may be in terms of faith and how much do you believe and how much do you act upon what you believe in terms of getting more and more vessels to be, to be filled. Uh, I'm thinking, uh, I remember that uh, Josephus, uh, he's talked about an awful lot. Uh, many of you may have never read it, but all of you have heard of him, I'm sure. He was a, a Jew who was also a historian. And uh, he wrote during the time that the, Jew, that the Romans were capturing uh, Jerusalem 
and destroying it in AD 70. And he was an eyewitness to that. And so it's pretty certain that what he said about that incident uh, is all true. However, having taken up the hand, uh, the, uh, the pen of a historian, he went back and did a history of Israel, which is, sort of follows the uh, biblical story, but adds details. And uh, uh, it's generally thought uh, by those who uh, read such things critically that uh, uh, they don't know where those details came from. And maybe it was in some instances a sort of a tradition had been handed down by the Jews. Maybe in some instances he just sort of made it up as he went. Nobody knows for sure. They do. It is generally thought that while he is an absolute, true eyewitness historian to the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, his earlier uh, things about the various uh, things in the ancient Israel may or may not be true. Uh, however, this particular widow, <coughs> his uh, uh, thought of as another incident in uh, Israel's life, and uh, that this is the same uh, widow that occurred in that incident, but we, we don't know that for sure. That was, that was what uh, uh, Joseph, well, uh, Josephus, uh, Josephus thought. Uh, Then there's a Shumanite woman. One day, Elisha went on to Shemeth, where a wealthy woman lived, and she urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now, this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed a table, a chair, and a lamp. Bare necessities for comfort, uh, but what was needed for comfort. And uh, so that whenever he comes here, he can go in there. Uh, there are two churches in Mississippi. One of them is Boonville, and I've forgotten right now where the other one is. But they had what was called an Elijah room. And any time a visiting preacher came by, and I was often a visiting preacher who came by because I was traveling the state to raise money and recruit students for Magnolia, uh, I could stay in that Elijah room, as they called it, and uh, be comfortable there for a night or maybe two and not have to get a motel room. Uh, so that was uh, based on this story, of course, that they called it an, an Elijah room. This was a good thing, of course, done by this widow for uh, men of God. Which brings me to something I'd meant to say and hadn't. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the terms for a prophet is a man of God. Uh, but Elisha is called man of God more frequently than he's called anything else. And more frequently than any other Old Testament character is called that. That's just a point of interest. I don't know that it has any particular uh, significance, but... Uh, uh, he is generally spoken of as, as a man of God, though other prophets were as well. One day he came there and returned to the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shumanite. And when he called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, say now to her, you have taken all this trouble for us, what is it that can be done for you? He said, would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? 
And uh, what she's suggesting there is that perhaps she was a slave or a captive, and uh, we could speak a good word for him to cause you to uh, be better taken care of. But she answered, I dwell among my own people. Uh, that's a very strong, firm statement of contentment. Uh, I'm not a captive. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not somebody's servant. Uh, I, I dwell among my own people. I have my own resources, and I'm comfortable. And uh, that's the statement that she made to express her contentment. I don't need you to do anything for me. It's basically sort of what she's saying. And he said, what then is to be done to her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, he stood in the door, and he said, in this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, oh, my Lord, oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elijah had said to her. So that was her reward. Uh, and you know the background of that is that uh, if a woman was barren, and many women not able to bear children, or maybe their husband not able to father children, uh, the woman always got the blame, whether it was her fault or not. But uh, they, uh, uh, they were considered uh, be, being punished, basically, if they uh, did not have a child. And uh, uh, there are two or three instances in the Bible where they were good women were rewarded uh, by prayer and other reasons uh, to bear a child in their old age, and this is another uh, incident. Uh, there's a, well, there's another story related to that I think is talked about in the New Testament. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on a bed, on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him and went out. And she called all her husband, called her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why would you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and went to her servant. Urge the animal on, do not slacken the pace unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, of course, is the site of the great victory over the uh, prophets of Baal sometime back in Elijah's day. When the man of God saw her coming, she said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is a Shermanite. Run out at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away when the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself lived, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound, of, sound of, or sign of life. Then he returned to meet him and told him, the child is not awakened. When Elisha came to the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. 
Then he went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eye on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became worn. And then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him again. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shumanite. And he called her, and when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bang on the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, in mentioning the list of the faithful, uh, in a place where he just says others, uh, he said women had their sons uh, resurrected from the dead. And uh, this is one of the instances where that was true, a couple of them. Uh, as you remember, one also occurred in the days of Elijah. As a matter of fact, you look at the two instances, there are differences between the two, but there are also similarities between the two children raised by uh, Elijah and Elisha or these various widows. Uh, Jesus mentions the Shumanite woman in an occasion where uh, he's found great faith in Gentiles that he did not find among the Jews. And he uh, refers to uh, there were many widows in those days, but it was a Shumanite woman, which was just a Gentile, whose son was restored uh, to her. And uh, they took up stones to stone him because he was praising the, the Gentiles. But, uh, of course, they uh, weren't able to really, really help him. Uh, so then he came again to Gilgal, where there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered him from a lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing that what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat. And while they were eating the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat it. He said, Then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Another miracle uh, doing away with, uh, I, I don't know enough about gourds to know what gourds are poisonous, are poisonous and which ones are not, uh, but I do know that uh, we have uh, mushrooms and toadstools uh, that are, where the toadstools are poisonous, they look a lot like the mushrooms, and if you go out and gather them, you may get a poisonous one. You need to, I've concluded, I like them very well, real well, but I need to, uh, eat them from someone who knows what's good about them and which ones are good and who fixes them. And uh, uh, so perhaps like uh, the toadstools are poisonous, there's poisonous gourds as well. And the, uh, the, the pot was therefore uh, not, not good to eat. Uh, we'll start next time at verse 42. Uh, we're just looking at several instances in the Bible of personal miracles of Elisha the prophet that uh, show him to be a truly... Uh, a man of God and, and one who is blessing of the people uh, on, on behalf of God. Any comment or question about that? All right. Thank you very much.